So you may think that you're a Christian parent, like on the fringes of everything, but it might actually be the case at this moment in history that you're the only one left who knows how to live in time and space, and to, and you have the gifts of anchoring human community right now where you live. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here with J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. We are hoping to be joined soon by our other regular Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. And we are excited today to welcome Dr. Jonathan Mummy to the pod. Dr. Mummy is Associate Professor of Theology at Hillsdale College working in systematic theology and in the history of doctrines and ideas. His research focuses primarily on ecclesiology, Martin Luther and Reformation studies, and theology and society. Jonathan, great to have you on Stand Firm. Brothers, thank you so much for uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, this coincides with uh, a visit to uh, JD's church here in Hilton Head, and so this is this is just double joy today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Well, we thought that before we begin our conversation about Hillsdale, Christian higher education, and more with Jonathan, that we would take a moment at the top of the show today to acknowledge the horrific shootings at the Covenant Christian School in Nashville this week. Though it's already a huge and complicated news story, as we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, there's sure to be more known by the time this episode actually comes out Friday. The shooter's manifesto, for instance, has not yet been released but we do know that there are grieving families, a grieving church, and I think this feels especially close to home for us. It was people just like us who were targeted and children just like our own. We're so thankful that though we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, we have the comforts of Christ to accompany us. Guys, is there anything that you want to add about this story? You know, I think as you yeah. said, Nick, uh, you know, watching it unfold uh, obviously, any time that, uh, you know, there's loss of life intentionally at another human being's hands, that's, you know, cause for consideration and concern. But, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm a father. Uh, I work at an institution of Christian education. So I'm, I'm yeah. more than curious to see what comes out of this. And of course, you know, it is it is time to uh, think and pray, think about and pray for the people who have been involved in this. But also maybe, you know, to be thinking more broadly about, well, this, I'm thinking back to my talk today, uh, what, what kind of sentiments live in the human heart that leads to, you know, a taking of life in this fashion. And we are all fathers of young children and cannot help but um, really not know what to say other than yep. to cast our cares upon Christ and and ask him to redeem us and redeem this world in which we live. Well, I mean, would that be would that be same, safe to say as a father that the the death of a child is, you know, like the worst thing you can imagine. Um so so much so that I can't even that. imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't get in your shoes. Yeah. And particularly in that in that scenario i mean i think of um you know sickness and um accidental death and all these things you know as terrible as they are have a, a different level of magnitude i mean there's a reason why cold premeditated murder is um a capital offense um in the bible you know and down through western civilization you know history um as opposed to like you know the sort of general lament of um the brokenness of the world that comes through um, tragedy and sickness is a, it's it's painful. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I know I've walked through that loss with many people and experienced some of it myself. But nevertheless, like this is this is it hits the human conscious differently, uh, or, or is it, it? It should. It has for millennia. And I think that the difficulty I had with it was the callousness with which people were immediately treating the event. You know, immediately turning it into either political statements or a, you know, some sort of um, gun control or, you know, something other than like you were actually, well, just so you know, Jonathan was talking about lament today. So we're going to be on that theme because it's all in our, it's in our ears um, right now. But, um, you know, the first response in, in whatever capacity you would think from a human perspective would just be Lord have mercy or, or, 
or just just a sense of sadness and wailing uh, for the entire um, uh, community, you know, whether you agreed with them or not. And yet it was disappointing and maybe not surprising, but still somewhat harrowing to see um, kind of the callous uh, reactions almost instantaneously as we can get them now um, to this shooting when you're talking about nine-year-old scared little nine-year-old kids, you know, who, who were just, and was it random act of violence They were targeted and, and killed, you know, murdered. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's almost, it's too much. It's quite a heavy thing to consider. Um, and I just, I've been praying for that pastor ever since. Um, I mean, and the other people, as far as I know, that's the only name that's been released or the names have been released, but he's been closely, you know, obviously clearly linked. And I just, um, you know, pray for his, for the comfort that the Lord gives his people to descend on him in the midst of this in a, in a profound way. Yeah. Well, it's clear that we are at a loss for words here. <laughs> and in the, in the, in the absence of a smooth transition, we'll just jump right into what we had thought about talking about today with Jonathan. Um, Jonathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sounds like your research interests are right up our alley. How did you get interested in them and how did you get to Hillsdale? Yeah, well, you can tell me how long you'd you'd like that uh, answer to be. Um, That's right. It so was a cold, I'm, I'm windy day to... when I was born. Yes, <laughs> right. Mid, the strong mid- Midwestern stock. That's right. Yeah, so I'm I'm new to Hillsdale. I got to say to my my uh, students uh, the first day of class, who's who's a freshman here and who's in their first day of class at Hillsdale, and I, I got to raise my hand with them this time. <laughs> Uh, and so prior to coming to Hillsdale, I had taught for eight years at Concordia University, Wisconsin, which lies just north of Milwaukee along Lake Michigan. And prior to teaching at Concordia, I taught for three years at a small uh, theological house of studies in Cambridge, England. And then uh, I came to know the two of you prior to that through JD when he and I were both doing our doctoral studies in Germany. And, and prior to doing doctoral studies in, in Germany at the University of Tübingen, uh, I had done a uh, undertaken a Master of Divinity course of studies at Concordia Seminary in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So I am a, a Lutheran clergyman who went on to study uh, theology to uh, doctoral studies. And I'm actually, you know, we're, we're here talking about Christian uh, education, and we, were, we began by, by, you know, acknowledging something uh, deeply saddening, uh, horrific that's happened at a Christian school. I'm a product of of Christian schools. So uh, as JD was just you know indicating there, I, I grew up on the the plains of uh, southern Minnesota in a very rural area. Came up uh, through uh, Lutheran Christian schools in that place, and then uh, eventually went to uh, a college, kind of you know right down that pipeline as well. Uh, I suppose as far as my research interests go, uh, those have been shaped by, you know, for me, seminal professors over the years. And eventually some of my studies uh, when I was, you know, in my master's level studies sort of indicated it would be time to learn German. It would be time to go to to Germany uh, and to pursue something in the area of of systematic theology uh, as shaped by the Reformation in my own Lutheran tradition. And so that's kind of uh, taken me in in that direction, and then just my own history with questions of ecclesiology and the like is uh, what fostered you know those particular interests. That's kind of the short answer. That was probably long enough. <laughs> That's good. So one of the main things that we wanted to ask you about, and I guess we can throw this out at the beginning and let it shape the rest of our conversation, is. Christians, I think, are so often, at least in the very modern, you know, 2023, cautioned st- heavily against sending their kids off to college. It's sort of seen as the the Wild West. And if you're going to do it, be very careful about how you prepare your kids, how you disciple them, how you prepare them for the apologetic task. Uh, what is Hillsdale doing right? Because Hillsdale is often held up as one of the few places that a parent can, a Christian parent can send their kid with a clear conscience. What is Hillsdale doing right? Okay, thanks, Nick. That's a, I mean, that's a great question. Um, 
And as I attempt to answer it, you know, please, you know, know that you're talking to the new guy. Right. There. Speak so for others... Hillsdale authoritatively. Please. Yes, right. You okay. just a few <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to do that. We'll send this directly to Larry Arn. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's let's get me fired. He's the shortest professor get... we've ever had in the history. Of yes. The there we go. Uh, so I'll try. Well, to but you have been involved. I... But you have been involved in in higher education, as you said. Uh, basically, that's what you've done. I mean, you you are ordained, but your call was to the to the education primarily. And so you, you've seen for the past 12 years or whatever, what has taken place. And so I think you, yes. you know, um, um, so I'll try a to really interesting perspective. Yeah. I'll try to answer that question from the angle that Nick po- pointed the question, the Hillsdale angle. Uh, and I might be able to then speak also out of, you know, other educational experience and observations. And then don't let me forget, I would like to come back and say a word, you know, to parents who are thinking about sending their children off to college in, you know, what is a very unsettling uh, post-secondary educational environment for uh, Christian parents today, but also ways to think about that, like not just the choice of college, but other things you might do as you're thinking about that in general. So, uh, you know, to return to your question or to pick up the question of like, what is Hillsdale doing right? I think decisively to me, and this really shaped, you know, my my excitement to apply there and to come on to the faculty there, they are unabashed Uh, We are unabashed about our Christian identity and our Christian ethos right into, you know, our mission and our reason for existence as a college. Uh, That college was founded uh, in 1844 by abolitionist Baptists, and they were founding that that college, as they say, out of gratitude to, to God for the liberties afforded to them through civil and religious liberty. And so the founding purpose of the college is an act of gratitude because they believe through educating in a certain way, they could pass on to future generations gifts that had come to be theirs. And so in view of that, they they promised an education of letters, sciences, and theology to all those who seek that. I mean, as many as we can educate and, and friends that, you know, can do the, the educating and participating in that with us. But that has never left. And I think that that is absolutely essential, that theology is part of the overarching educational task, the educational ethos, uh, the operation of education, period. So it's not just like you have a college that's going to do its educating or a university that has some sort of, what could you say, values or identity structure on the side that's Christian, but that built in part and parcel to that which they are trying to explore um, and give to students as a gift is theology itself. So we we look at ourselves as heirs to and trustees of the Western philosophical and theological tradition, and that shapes how we go about the, the task of education. You don't have a compartmentalized theological philosophical task off in some corner with some electives and some department that might still get to do something here. This is shot through everything that we're attempting to do as we seek to open the true, the good, and the beautiful. I mean, Mm. the good is God. The true is God. The ultimate beautiful is God. Uh, Of course, we we experience that and can see that in all kinds of other places in in an ordered world that he has created uh, in in human history that has sought out those mysteries imperfectly. But that is what we're after. That's that's the kind of education at every turn we're we're seeking to, to grant. So that would be a first first level, you know, sort of answer back to that. I mean, I could say more things about, you know, campus life, you know, the the character of 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 students and how that's being shaped by that. But that would be like the education level answer. Well, and I think what's clear, at least from the outside outside observer of what's going right at Hillsdale is you have the strength of conviction and courage of the of the men and women, perhaps, I don't know if the board's like, uh, that are made up to to bear that responsibility. 
we were talking just yesterday about um, a somewhat famous book in least conservative intellectual circles written by William F. Buckley called uh, God and Man at Yale, where he wrote as a recent graduate of Yale back in the, must have been the 50s or maybe 60s, I don't know exactly when, but he was appealing to the board of trustees saying, you know, you have this incredible patrimony that you are squandering and you are uh, you are the ones who have been required by your, you know, taking on this responsibility to keep keep the school in the direction it was founded, you know, and in, and in particular, he was talking about, you know, the question of God, like the ideas of transcendental ultimate value, absolute truth, these things. And um, we've just seen time and time again, I mean, we're products of the Episcopal Church, which is which is just yet another instance where the, the men um, in particular that were charged with shepherding and and entrusting the, well, again, the patrimony they were given just failed, just outright failed out of cowardice, out of incompetence, out of, you know, really usually sort of a tragic, tragically comic mix of both, um, as we observed. And, you know, what I see at um, Hillsdale is that you have you have a president, you have a board that's behind the president, you have clear statements of value, you have clear expectations of the students, there's a clear, um, you know, everything, there's a lot of clarity there. And there's conviction to follow up on that um, and to to say, you know, yes, we're going here. No, we're not going there. You know, there's and, and I think that's in short supply all over the place is the people who have lost the confidence in um, what they at least the people that they came before them believed. And therefore, they're, you know, the proverbial unmoored ship in the wind and ways of life. I mean, this is what this is what we see. And. And I'm, uh, you know, I look at colleges like great, wonderful colleges that were. I mean, this is nothing new, but they were founded uh, with similar visions and purpose that have gone, um, you know, have actually taken up uh, the charge of trying to eradicate the very, the very, um, you know, principles that they were founded upon. And it's it's sad to watch. I mean, it's it's uh, it's and it's heartbreaking. But um, I'm grateful that in the midst of all of this, there is some place like Hillsdale and, and some other ones we've, we've talked about before, but, but you're here speaking to us. And so we're grateful that, that there are still places where faculty, just even very junior faculty who come on, can speak with such conviction and clarity about the, the purposes and value of the school is encouraging and, and comforting for a parent of a, of a future student in some capacity. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be a great treat if I, you know, could could have some little Coke kids around there someday, not so little anymore. But uh, Nick, you were about to say, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you sort of a follow-up question, which is that as encouraging as it is to a Christian minister like myself to hear you talk about how everything is shot through with this theology and the the the, the ultimate good truth and beauty are sourced in Almighty God, I do think that it's instructive that even people who aren't sure, who 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 don't have that North Star by which to navigate, who maybe even don't know how to sail at all, seemingly can have a good experience at Hillsdale. I think there was the, an article, I think it was sort of at the height of the pandemic. I think it might have even been in Mother Jones by a Hillsdale, yeah, the a Hillsdale student out. who was not a Christian who wrote about the quality of her experience at Hillsdale. How how do the sort of less sure of their Christian convictions students fare at Hillsdale, and how does that work for them? Okay, now there I have to be you know very honest and say that I don't have you know a great depth or breadth of experience experience depth of experience experientially. I don't have a great depth <laughs> of experience with that yet. But I can speak to it to some degree just out of my, my classes and interactions with students in these first two semesters. So I want to be very clear, uh, Hillsdale values liberty, it values religious liberty, and we have absolutely no requirements that the students come who come there, that they are you know Christians or any stripe of Christians or that they become Christians by no means. But we are a Christian college and we put that forward very clearly. I mean, all kinds of things there begin um, with the Pledge of Allegiance and with prayer in the Trinitarian name of God. I mean, they're not, they're absolutely unabashed about this. 
I think what it does and what I sense in uh, the students, you know, you get various students, you get students who come from very, very, you know, devout backgrounds, Christian schooling, or maybe they've come through public schools, but a devout family, many homeschooled students. But I've also have students in my classes uh, who are, you know, beginning to explore theology, the possibility of the existence of God, uh, have exposure to uh, the sacred scriptures of the Christian tradition, i.e. the Bible, for the first time in their lives. I mean, that's really something, right? You're a Western-educated student. You go through 18 years of life. Twelve of those have been education. You've never opened the Bible. I mean, there's something, I don't mean just religiously wrong with that. I mean, just like historically, that's so narrow. You know, you just like how... Is there arguably any more important set of literature in like shaping the world as we know it as that? And even if you don't like it to not have any exposure to it or give people any exposure to it seems, what could I say, like um, something tipped in a given direction. Uh, I think for many of those students, it, it causes them to kind of say... It causes them to face questions perhaps bigger than they have faced before, like... Who am I? What does it mean to be human? What is the purpose of human existence? What is the good that uh, I am seeking in life? How would I know what that is? And they at least get to explore that in the responses that you know have grown up in view of God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ and that have been treasured and given flower to in the Western tradition. And so for some of these students, I mean, this, you know, I I attend uh, a Christian church near Hillsdale, a Lutheran church. I'm a Lutheran minister. A young man was baptized there. He came from sort of a, you know, somewhat secular background with a, a little bit of religious association to it, but like nothing, you know, really. But in that, and oftentimes more in just the association with other students. I mean, professors aren't proselytizing people there. Uh, but in their association with other students, I mean, if you wake up in a dorm and like, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent, maybe it's more than that, is going to church on Sunday morning. People are inviting you along. You're going to go probably or at least just yeah. to see it. And then like for some students, it's new because you got all these other students around you uh, and maybe you've had some kind of a background. But now you got people with other backgrounds and now you get to kind of think about things based on new experiences. So so even for students who come from a Christian background, it's going to be a moment where they're what could you say, a particular stripe of Christianity gets tested a bit because they've got really bright people around them who have a little bit different stripe. And I think all of right. that is just, you know, quite healthy. You know, I love the fact that you have professors that um, will actually answer the questions, you know, what are the meaning of life? Why am I here? You know, have, have considered this, have brought some convictions to bear, and it's not cynical, postmodern um you know, sidestep and say, well, I don't know, you know, life is what you make of it. You know, you're here to create and find yourself or some nonsense like that. And I think, you know, as a parent, the old saying, you know, that the college was in loco parentis, you know, in the place of parents, the idea that you would have professors who were held to that standard, who would actually engage your child with from their own deep conviction is, um, is really comforting, you know, because obviously, there's a there's a developmental phase between 18 and 22 that's very important. You know, higher critical thought and all the various cortexes and yes. vortexes. Those are in your brain too, I'm sure. But to be in a place that is challenging you, even if you don't necessarily agree or you're coming to your own, you know, convictions and beliefs, is necessary. And so I think, um, you know, it's it's it sounds like a wonderful place to 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 be formed or at least to to be. Um, engaged in the the very ways you're talking about um, in a health and health healthy and, and safe way, you know I love the idea. Um, you know it's funny that, that there's this bugaboo of of like if a Christian, um, well nation is one, but you know if there was like a, a Christian um, institution that somehow that would be this like Taliban esque you know squelching of all dissent. There would be this lockstep. You know it's kind of the picture of the. Um, which I never watched, but I understand the handmaid's tale, you know, this idea of what it would look like. And then you have, you have the counter argument, which has actually been seen in practice where with certain exceptions, which we can point to, there are so few throughout all of Christian history. Um, you have by and large, the, the pattern of liberty 
lay down because of the Christian convictions that actually allows for not only dissent, but but principled uh, objection and and con- conversation. You know, mm-hmm. so it's interesting that as the as the foundations of Western civilization, at the very least, the Judeo-Christian ones with respect to higher education are are attacked or undermined. You find less actual discussion, you know, less um, freedom of speech, less of these these places where you can you can dialogue. Um, and I think I would I'm not, I'm unsurprised. Let's put it that way. That in an intensely Christian institution, you would not only be able to welcome perhaps an atheist, and you would also expect that person to be treated with with dignity and respect and also engaged with with a certain sense of humility, which could only be fruitful for both of the dialogue partners. Whereas, of course, what we see, I mean, I'm thinking about um, Washington and Lee, my own alma mater at the moment, because they're inviting um, Matt Walsh. I don't know if you saw this. Somebody on the student body posted a picture of Mussolini um, on Twitter and said, this is what happens to fascists, you know, like warning him. I mean, this is this is what's reporting. And this is Washington and Lee, which we talked about, I don't know, like episode 60 or whatever back during the the names and the monuments building, yeah. which is not particularly known for its progressive stance towards the world. you know. Um, and yet this is happening at, at colleges all over the country. And of course, you you wonder, um, what are you putting your child into at this point? Um because the idea that they could be trained to have civil discourse, which would be you would seem an outcome of higher education, is almost non-existent. It seems. So I'm grateful, um, and I think you're right, Nick. I tried to Google it and find it, but I think there was a um, someone during the lockdown who went to Hillsdale because they had different strictures and uh, and wrote about her experience and said, you know, surprise, surprise. Christianity still seems to be a blessing to the nations, even the godless nations. You know, it's like yeah. we heard a promise about that somewhere. I don't know, <laughs> you know a couple of thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, so I would, I mean, in answer to that question, I would say, you know, the no student who is, you know, sort of not a Christian or of a Christian or religious background should say, well, I, I shouldn't go to Hillsdale. I shouldn't apply there because I'm not this. I mean, in some sense, we're uh, a very liberal institution in the old sense of the term. Like we value liberty, <laughs> you know, uh, we actually are are attempting to, you know, educate, like lead people out into sort of uh competent lives of continued study in view of a pursuit of the truth and a pursuit of their own, you know, realization uh, as free individuals, that's what we're utterly committed to that. And that makes us like liberal in a very old sense of the word, like the the places that were once touted as liberal uh, institutions, I, I have a hard time finding liberty at them. Um, there, there's a real sort of socio-political party line that is kind of almost lockstep monolithic in many uh, venues of higher education today that, you know, kind of aligns with, you know, the Mussolini-like poster that's that's being put up at your alma mater, J.D. Like, uh, but it's not the sort of thing of discourse. It's the shouting down of, of the other in, in a very non-civil discourse that I, I most often see there. Um, one one qualification, though, and, uh, you know, I don't think you disagree with me on this, but, you know, you said to save. I wouldn't say Hillsdale safe for anybody. I mean, Hillsdale's going to they're going to challenge everybody who comes in there uh, because we we agree to live this way with one another. Right. So that doesn't mean that anybody's you know going to be targeted for anything. But like we're beholden to the truth. Every one of us, faculty as well, that's the standard to which we hold one another. And of course, none of us uh, arrive at that perfectly. Uh, this is basic Christian conviction. We're, we're sinners. Uh, we, we live in a state of separation from God. Uh, we don't just you know roll out of bed in the morning and have communion with what is true and good and beautiful. And education is is a very difficult and lifelong task of, you know, drawing near to that and befriending it in some sense. And we actually believe that we need one another. I mean, that's something I so treasure about my colleagues there is that we're jointly, you know, sort of rowing together college as as joint effort, education as like drawing a student out, drawing a person out into this kind of shared friendship and shared pursuit of the truth. So 
um, that's not going to be safe. That's going to be really challenging. I feel that now as, as a first year professor. Uh, this is um, one of the greatest challenges I have ever faced in my life. And I am so excited to be a part of it every day. Well, Matt Kennedy has entered the chat. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm good. The lights aren't blinking, Clark. Well, and Matt actually has. <laughs> well, this, any of us this is what I was going to say. Matt has he's, at he's least much much older than all. <laughs> at least one kid in college and several <laughs> approaching that time. And this is actually a perfect introduction with his introduction to the podcast of the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Jonathan. Which is, and I was trying to think of a non-combative way to ask this question. But I've decided that the combative way is the most fun. So when traditional liberal arts education at colleges in the U.S. seemed like it was falling off a cliff, my first reaction was, well, gosh, I'm going to encourage my kids to become electricians and plumbers and carpenters because those things are in need anyway. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, sell me on higher education why shouldn't we just have all of our kids learning a trade? Okay. I mean, that's that's an excellent question. I appreciate the the combativeness of it because <laughs> it will force me to wrestle through it in my own mind. And and by the way, I have two young boys, six and four, who if they want to go into the trades, I will completely support them. Uh, but I also hope that those boys uh, at some point in their lives do things like uh, read Plato and Aristotle and and the New Testament and Augustine uh, and the founding fathers of the United States and Boethius and and uh, Anselm and Aquinas and Luther and and that if you know they're they're changing out your uh, toilet stack and if they're you know rewiring your panel they're also doing it as your neighbors who are contributing to you know, an overall good of society by their capacity as, you know, in the sense of my boys, educated men, right? I don't view those things as being at odds with one another. So the real press of this question is like, why would you pay upwards of $40,000 a year to maybe not learn anything, to not like grow as a human being, to not like have explored something uh, deep and challenging and meaningful to, and to not be really capacitated to a way that can build up, you know, human life and human civilization and may only just like be riotously more angry to tear something down. And I don't think that that's worthwhile and you shouldn't go and pay for that. Uh, that's just that's a waste of money. And probably the government is just making money off of it. Right. We'll, we'll loan it to them so they can go into debt so that they can pay it back to us. I mean, this is you know, it's it's sort of bad on many, many sides. But I would like to say, you know, something about, uh, you know, education and, and, and being a parent in relation to that in general. So although many institutions of higher education are going through uh, an identity crisis and are just kind of like sailing somewhat, you know, listlessly out there, you know, and in some ways also kind of caught in the unseen rapids of a neo-Marxism that moved into higher education. There are still, I think, professors in there, uh, hopefully. Uh, we see this often at Hillsdale that, that there are exiles uh, from higher education, you know, who are our friends and many of them are in the ranks of, of universities, but they're they're kind of becoming the ousted persons on the fringes. You know, so maybe if you're advising a student who's going to to a university, uh, even a, a, a post-Christian <laughs> classical liberal arts one or something like that, uh, that you find those people. Right. I, I was just having a conversation with uh, a mother who's uh, sending her eldest child off to university next year. And she was she was in tears because she's thinking about this. And, and, you know, I was I knew something about the place where uh, this student would be going. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing. You've, you've got to look for the right professors there. Right. And should you just entrust his education to that institution as such? Probably not. But help him find some good friends there or we can help him find some good friends there. Uh, and if you've got those kind of friends, education is always a pursuit under friends. Then you befriend yourselves to the professors who can help befriend you to, you know, this life of learning, this contemplation, this pursuit of truth. And that will be a valuable education in that place as well. You know, it may not be ideal, but then every every place we're living in the world is not ideal. The, the other thing that I would say 
to parents who are thinking about sending their students off is, you know, so if you can't find the ideal college or the ideal university, then ask what places can you send them where you can still find professors who exhibit, you know, sort of the, the educational ethos that you would like your your child explosive or young people, if you're thinking about this, where can you find those friends? Like you're being apprenticed into something. You're being apprenticed, God willing, into a tradition. It, it is meant to make you capable, not just of like some skills under which you can self-advertise. It's meant to make you sort of capable of, of life and a lifelong sort of habitus. The other thing I was saying, you know, we're all we're all Christian ministers sitting around in this this conversation. So, you know, like if I can do this, just a general call to the Christian churches, we need our smartest, brightest, best educated clergy in the modern equivalence of Alexandria and Athens. We need them in the churches in and around Stanford. We need them in the churches in and around Boston. And so when you're sending and when you're going to a, to a university and you're wondering what you can get there, make sure that you have a Christian church and a Christian congregation such that you have an altar on Sunday morning that is, broadly speaking, Orthodox Christian, uh, and that you have a pastor who is also going to continue to be the shepherd of your soul through these very formative years of your life, who is not only you know committed to uh, Christian doctrine, let's say, as we find it out from the scriptures and ensconced in the creeds, we can all agree on that in this forum, but who can also help you like wrestle through the things you're being called upon to wrestle through mentally and also like developmentally at this very important place in life. Like that's, I think that is a, a sine qua non for education anywhere right now. Like at, at that age of life, don't ignore that as a parent. Like, like does your does your child have uh, a pulpit and an altar to go to in those years? That's quite important. Okay. Which then begs, you know, then exposes the weakness of the of many local churches that have failed to adequately, you know, disciple the parents who then failed to adequately disciple their children, and so they get to a place where they have a general Christianity at 18 and then are unleashed into the wild uh, with no appreciation for what local church membership looks like, what um, what a comforting and encouraging congregation would feel like, and and they're eaten up. And they're just, you know, I mean, not not ultimately, we pray, but the the there's so many unnecessary wounds that we watch, you know, and I see these kids come back from first, second, third semester in college, just limping in ways and scarred in ways already that, I mean, they're not just, not just in sort of the normal sex, drugs, rock and roll ways, like intellectually, you know, mm -hmm. like no one ever told me how to think through evolutionary theory. No one ever taught me how to defend um, the authority of scripture in the face of, of actual attacks. Like no one ever told me these things, you know, and I think there's a, that that's a call to the local church, wherever you are, you know, if you're going to be sending um, high school kids uh, to college, uh, Christian or not, that if you're not actively telling them the answers to these great questions of life, then someone else is, and they're going to be giving them the wrong answers. That's what's going to happen. And so we are, um, you know, I've been very heartened by this guy, Jay Bozhashevsky, who I've never met, but he was a longtime professor at University of Texas, Austin. And he wrote a book that I read shortly after college, which which was sad for me because I wish I had read it before college called How to Stay a Christian in College. And he goes through all of the, uh, it's still in print. He goes through all of the various disciplines and says, here's what you need to look out for. Here's how you engage. Here's some of the assumptions. Here's some of the Christian. And he's subsequently come out with two different volumes called Ask Me Anything. Um, I think it's from Professor Theophilus is his pseudonym. But, you know, he goes after watching and working with college kids for, you know, 25, 30 years, he's seen it all, heard it all. And he's one of these safe professors um, who has thankfully shared some of his wisdom. And I think, you know, we pray for that, too. I mean, I'm grateful that you are there at Hillsdale, Jonathan, but I, you know, I pray for more Christian professors who are given the temerity and the courage to stand up for what ostensibly was the the freedom they were given uh, within the academy to to actually engage and said, of course, what we see, which is which is heart wrenching, is the exact opposite of that, as you mentioned. And so places like Hillsdale become necessary as opposed to what you'd like to think was the 
the the rule, they become the exception because um, you know these are cultural moment we're in now. Not seem very amenable to sort of to dialogue, sort of actual disagreeable dialogue in any way. But there you have it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I have not been here for all the entire conversation, so please forgive me if I'm repeating anything that someone's already said. But you know, we knew right off the bat that we were not in a position when our when Emma was born, it was our first kid, uh, to be able to send her off to a to an expensive college. We just wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but we wanted them to be able to read good books and think in a Christian way. Um, and so just for, you know, for a relatively cheap amount of money, we, we were able to homeschool them in a, in a, in a pretty thoroughly good way. And then because we don't do math over eighth grade, because I have my, I'm, I'm, that's beyond me and, and, and we just don't do that. Uh, we, we came into contact with Memor- Memoria Press when they were just getting uh, into junior high, which is a, has a great online, I guess it's Memoria Academy now, but it's a great online academy that, features, you know, a, a pretty a classical curriculum. So, so our kids have graduated, the ones who graduated have graduated having already read Plato and Augustine and, and, and done some pretty thorough work in those and, and some of the classic stuff. So I'm not as afraid sending my daughter, for example, to Binghamton university, which is, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of wokeness there, but she's able to engage with that in a, in a way she has resources um, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, she has some resources to um, to fall back on, um, and you know she's still living with us, so that helps too. But but there's a but there's a, a, a strategy going into thinking about higher education as a parent of a very small child right now, That's making right. decisions for what you're going to do when they reach school age. Are you are you just going to plop them into public school and hope all goes well? I mean, maybe in some public school settings that might be fine, but but I think you've got to strategize when your kids are young um, and maybe you, you will have the resources just in so great place like Hillsdale. I hope you do. Um, but, but barring that you can still give them the things that, uh, that we've been talking about here, at least you guys have been talking about here. I think you bring up such an important point, Matt, which is like, and I would completely underscore this as a professor at a college, education is parental responsibility and and quite honestly, that's one of the greatest privileges of my life right now. And I, I have brilliant students at Hillsdale. I mean, people way smarter than I was at their life, way better stage of life, way better educated. And I realize that I'm educating on the shoulders of other people. I, I'm like getting to participate in a, a broader parental activity. Twice a year, we have uh, weekends there, parents' weekends. And uh, parents come to town, you know, over over these weekends, and we we do something out at our field house that's almost like speed dating with Hillsdale parents. Like you get this schedule, and like every ten minutes, another set of parents comes and talks to you. And you know, a couple of things have struck me. One, uh, very very often, I'm talking to mom and dad. In fact, I can hardly think of examples where I haven't talked to mom and dad. What that says to me is that the, the students who are there, and it's not easy to get into Hillsdale College these days, uh, are, are what could we say, the children very often of families who have been invested in their education and taken direct personal responsibility for it all the way through, which aligns with something that I heard in a, in a podcast on the BBC like 10 years ago. I used to listen to this uh, Thinking Aloud podcast. I think the, the um, host name was Laurie Taylor. I don't know if it's still going, but it was basically sociology. And he was he was interviewing a sociologist, a British sociologist who had done studies on American state universities, mainly in the Midwest. And her conclusions were basically, surprise, surprise, you can go to college for four years, at least at these you know particular institutions I studied, and basically get no education at all. Like you're, you're not any smarter, you're not any better educated. But what were the outliers? The children who still consulted with their parents all the way through university about their education. Like, what were they doing? What kind of classes were they going to be taking? Uh, what what were they after in these things? Like mom and dad all the way up through university or their parents, and some maybe it was a mom or a dad, 
uh, accompanied that education up through college. Those students, she concluded, were still managing to get some sort of an education. So please, like, just keep being mom and dad to your kids through age 22 and beyond. Like, they need you. Uh, and I think, you know, those of us who are beyond that in years, you know, deeply sense that even at this stage of our lives, like how precious are those people to us who are still out in front of us on the road of life and still have some wisdom for us? My goodness, they're like gold by the time you're in your 40s, you know, like that. That's treasure. So be that treasure to your children. Amen. We're also at kind of an inflection point in, in education right now. Like, you know, Matt's talking about things that he's doing with his children, you know, in terms of like educating up through, you know, uh, grammar school and high school. Kids are going off to college resourced as Christians, I think, in a way that they haven't intentionally been before. Like we just kind of assumed we could send kids to this or that school is all going to be OK. Now, another generation on, we realize that that's not the case. So, you know, maybe they're going into it in a way like they're resourced to this, even in a way that may be hostile to it. I mean, I can say that for me at age 18 or 19, thank God I was in a place that I was surrounded by, you know, other Christians, Christian professors, and that that like actively sought to nurture my faith because I could have certainly gone off, you know, deep end of, you know, who knows what, what was it in the 90s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? If that had been the thing that had been served up to me. But, you know, thankfully it was, I mean, it's not that there was an opportunity for that, but uh, there were others who were, you know, going to to help shepherd and befriend me in into something else. And, you know, I hope that more universities and colleges can reclaim that. Um, it was a gift that I was given at just the right time. Yeah, I, I, to my shame, didn't even consider, Laws and I were talking about this the other night, didn't even consider going to a Christian, like explicitly Christian college. And I think at the time it was because it was, in my mind, considered a second rate intellectual enterprise. And I think that's, that has been, that's not true. And that's not, uh, that's to my, you know, I mean, I'm glad I met Laza there, but we, we collectively have said that, you know, it will be different for our children. At least the consideration and the preparation will be different because I do think what you just said, the, this sort of, um, you know, what what could go wrong with just sending kids to the best possible school they could, best quote-unquote possible school, I mean, quote-unquote best possible <laughs> school they could get into was not the ideal. And uh, I think, you know, we've all had to reconsider that. And I think it's, it's um, a mercy that we're having this, collective Christian conversation, you know, around the country, around the world, about the benefits and the drawbacks to higher education. And thankfully, watching um, the problems uh, that we have lived through be addressed and people like you and Hillsdale and, and the various online training and all the all the tools, as you said, being brought to bear in a, in a much more hopeful way than then I think, um, you know, I was feeling maybe when Tucker was born first, eight years ago, you know, I was, was like, well, we're just going to have to be, Rod Dreher's got it right. We're just going to move to the upper Midwest and sort of carve out a commune somewhere because that's the only hope. So it's, now we got a little bit more. So I'm grateful for that. Speaking of hope, Jonathan, it seems like not a day goes by where we're not reading in the news about some school board somewhere that, voted to keep pornography in the library or is um, hiding students who are requesting new pronouns, hiding that truth from their parents and all the various things that are happening on college campuses everywhere. As we close, can you share a piece of good, <laughs> preach the good news to yeah. parents who are raising their kids, schooling their kids, trying to send their kids off to school in this, um, as we've called it, post-Christian culture? Yeah, I mean, you you can't, you know, directly preach the good news out of the headlines sometimes. Sometimes the headlines are, are quite dark, um, and, and the things that you raise there, Nick, are, are happening all around us. You know, so on the one hand, there's there's kind of a call to, to action there. That's not the good news yet. But... Um, you know, one of the things I think I've realized over the last few years is that I can't take anything for granted anymore. 
so, you know, I think we say this probably quite often in and around Hillsdale, but, um, you know, you who are living locally in your places, like your school boards are completely important. And it's going to be a really difficult thing for you as a mom or dad to think about running for a school board position, being on it, because if you're doing your job as a parent, you don't have a heck of a lot of time. Who's got time to be politically active? Most oftentimes, people who don't have children and have uh, the luxury of all kinds of free time to be political activists, right? But you can do it. You can take on that kind of responsibility. You've been entrusted with much, and and you will be supported in that by a lord, right? Um, who actually bore the burden of history. Uh, so here's here's the good news, and I think this you know aligns with you know the introduction that you gave, and you said you know I'm I'm interested in ecclesiology. I think that Christians right now, this became even clearer to me through the the so-called pandemic have a wonderful thing that that we know and that we can be. We recognize that human community and human existence is inherently embodied and inherently local. There's all kinds of things afoot right now that would seek to, you know, leave our, our bodies maybe behind. You think about the transhumanist movement. I have a colleague who's about to teach on that at, at Hillsdale. Uh, or even the way that it was more than tacitly suggested to us that we could just move our entire lives onto Zoom uh, and into video calls, and it would be pretty much the same thing. I mean, I think everybody after that experience knows that that's malarkey. So Christians recognize that locality and place and an embodied physical existence with something attached to it like a zip code is actually just the way human life is, and it's a gift from God. Uh, and those of us who, you know, gather in front of pulpits and at altars recognize that a localized form of human community is actually absolutely irreducible. We eat together every week. It's at our Lord's table, a Lord who, you know, walked around in human flesh and bones at a time and place in human history. And you know, we believe that he's still among us with that. Like he's he's still speaking like words that shake human eardrums in time and space. And he's actually feeding us with himself in time and space. And that actually vivifies human community in those places. So you may think that you're a Christian parent, like on the fringes of everything, but it might actually be the case at this moment in history that you're the only one left who knows how to live in time and space. And to, and you have the gifts of anchoring human community right now where you live. Uh, run with that sort of a confidence and see what happens. Uh, and I think that you're going to end up being a blessing not only to your kids, but like even to the secularized community around you, uh, although there's going to be some headwinds as you bless them. But it, but it's there. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan, for that good word. And thank you to our listener for listening to Stand Firm this week. That's going to be all the time we have. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. And a special thank you to Jonathan Mummy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Thank you.